The Kansas Jayhawks basketball roster did not grow by a member on Tuesday. Prized recruit R.J. Hampton announced on ESPN's morning program, Get Up, that he wouldn't attend college to play basketball and instead signed with a New England-based team in the Australian Professional League. Kansas beat writer Jesse Newell is here to talk about this latest development and other news involving the Jayhawks. Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the sports podcast by the Kansas City Star. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Jesse, how you doing today? Doing all right, Blair. How about yourself? Doing okay. Did you get up with the latest Kansas news this morning? <laughs> uh, I did. Uh, we were all huddling around uh, our respective TV sets to make sure that we took in the RJ Hampton news. But uh, to be completely honest with you, come Monday, something smelled sort of fishy with this thing. So not too big of a surprise when he declared uh, that he was going to play in Australia. Yeah, so the reference to Get Up was he, he made the announcement on ESPN's morning show called Get Up with uh, Mike Greenberg and Jalen Rose was part of that crew. It's And it's Tuesday, so the, the news came the day after the Memorial Day uh, holiday, and you said you caught wind of something on, on Monday, huh? What, uh, what led you to think that it could happen? Yeah, just a little bit of social media, and the thing about RJ and his recruitment is just – it's been a lot through his dad, and we've heard, heard different things. Uh, for a while it was, will he think about playing overseas? And then his dad said that he wasn't going to think about playing overseas. But I think the number one thing to me was his dad recently, uh, we're talking about Rod here, Rod Hampton, was talking about how he was very in tune or wanted to be in very in tune into the decisions that both Devon Dotson and Quentin Grimes were going to make in regards to KU basketball because that was going to impact his son, RJ. Uh, RJ kind of a combo slash point guard. And if both those guys come back to Kansas, then obviously that's going to impact RJ's minutes and his potential role on the team. So he talked a, a lot about how he wanted to know the impact of those guys coming back. And then RJ Hampton decided to announce his decision the day before the NBA draft deadline. So you started to start to think like, wait a minute, if this was so important to you, then why are you making this decision one day before you could have had all the answers and known whether Devon Dotson and Quentin Grimes were coming back to Kansas? So that, along with some social media buzz with some Australian flags and people speculating about that, made it seem pretty likely that this RJ Hampton thing was not going to go Kansas's way, even though uh, he reported today on uh, an interview with Barstool Sports, I guess, that Kansas would have been his next option. I guess maybe that would have been his only option because Memphis was out of scholarships. Texas Tech came on him late but didn't seem like much of a factor. So, uh, But in the end, Kansas doesn't get him. And so the Jackson will move forward now to uh, a very important couple days here to figure out who is going to be on their roster in 2019-2020. Not much of a consolation prize to hear that he would have picked Kansas, but, uh, but uh, interesting to note. So what – the last time you and I spoke, we, we speculated about uh, Quentin Grimes and Devon Dotson. Has anything changed? I think you were of the mind that uh, you know, lean Dotson return, lean Grimes go. Maybe you have a stronger sense of, of Grimes leaving than Dotson returning. Has anything changed in the last several days? Well, and again, we'll apologize to these people listening to the podcast here in about 48 hours. If they're listening to it Thursday, you guys have all the answers when we don't right now. Uh, the people that are listening to this, Gary Bedore has a story out. He talked to Devon Dotson's dad and spoke about kind of how Devon is up in the air still. They're going to kind of go down to the wire with this thing. He uh, has a workout plan for Wednesday, and then the family's going to get together and decide. I do think he's sort of torn at this point. Um, if you look at sort of the options that he has, it sounds like, Second round, late second round, if he stays in the draft this year, if he comes back another year, 
Uh, the, the father has heard things like, you know, could be lottery pick, could be first round pick if he doesn't get injured. But again, it all depends on kind of the math that you want to put into this. If you're a second round pick, you still get paid. And if you're Devon Dotson, you come back to Kansas, you don't technically get paid. So uh, there's that factor into it. There's also the matter of being the big man on campus with Kansas, uh, being potentially a first or second team All-American, preseason All-American going next year, and potentially the Big 12 Player of the Year. All the uh, exposure you get from Kansas and also improving his game. You know, He was not very good in the pick and roll when it came to vision and seeing guys to pass to, and his shooting could be improved. Uh, he did not have a very reliable three-point shot. It was he was accurate, but he didn't shoot it very often, needed a lot of space to get that off. So I think he's hearing kind of different things. It'll go down to the wire with him. Quentin Grimes, I've been hearing all along he's probably going to not come back to Kansas. However, uh, we've heard from him throughout the NBA draft process that he really wants to play point guard. And that's what he did in high school. That's what he did for Bill Self with Team USA when he won MVP honors last summer. He did not play point guard for Kansas last year. But if we're going down the line here, okay, so if RJ Hampton's not at Kansas— and Devon Dotson tells his buddy, Quentin Grimes, I'm not going to Kansas. Maybe there's an avenue for Quentin Grimes to come back because if if those two guys are gone, KU suddenly is without a point guard. They have Isaac McBride, who is a top 100 fringe player uh, from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, coming into the class. But outside of that, they have nobody under six foot five on the roster if you don't count walk-on. So you're going to Marcus Garrett, you're looking at Ochai Abaji maybe, but those are not perfect fits of the point guard. There's potentially a path here if Devon Dotson decides to declare to go pro. Maybe Quinn Grimes could sneak his way back to Kansas and play the position that he wanted to when he joined the Jayhawks last season. Well, that's clearly the the next story, depending on how things unfold, is who how the Kansas backcourt lines up. I think that's the next uh, next riddle to solve, depending on on what happens, what decisions are made. But hey, I want to go back to Hampton just for a second, and what the potential ramifications are for a player in his position to make this type of decision. I've read a couple of things. I imagine you have two. Uh, you know, he, he's a little different than, than prospects who have skipped college to play professional basketball out of high school or prep school in that he didn't need to do this because of his academics. He was academically eligible. The grades weren't an issue for him. He just did, he just didn't want to play college basketball. In fact, that was that was his quote on ESPN on Tuesday morning was that he he just wasn't a not interested in in college basketball. Words to that effect. Um, you know, we've just gone through a lot of uh, and continue to go through a lot of issues in 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 college basketball that started with the FBI investigation, and one of them is the idea of you know, talented prospects in their early to mid-teens who, um, who who seem to be the ones that get taken advantage of the most, or at least their families do. And, uh, and, and, and one of the solutions to that is to eliminate the one-and-done rule in, in college basketball, you know, in, in the NBA, so that college, uh, so that these kids don't have to go to college for a year and can go directly into the NBA, which was the case a dozen years ago or so. So is is there a... Is there something to be gleaned from, you know, from R.J. Hampton making this decision, going from an 18-year-old high school slash prep school player straight into a paid basketball position because you know, he doesn't want to play college basketball? Are we going to see more of this type of, uh, of this movement? I don't know. And the, the question is now, I mean, this has happened before in the past, and it didn't really become a pattern. 
Um, you know, with some of the previous ones, we can talk about Terrence Ferguson or uh, some of the guys, Brandon Jennings, along the line that have decided Moody, to Moody go. Moutier, remember from uh, Mo- yeah, Emmanuel Moutier, another guy that I decided not to go that path. Um, the only thing is, if the NBA in fact does eliminate the one and done uh, in 2022, which is what is being proposed now, it's kind of a short window to have this sort of thing happen because there won't be this sort of loophole. It'll be, hey, if you're RJ Hampton, you want to go pro, go pro. You can go ahead and be a professional. Um, you know, right away. Uh, the other part about this, uh, you know, it's so strange, but I wonder how much of this, and I know the NCAA is sort of t- starting to explore this, and Blair, you can talk more to this because I, I know you've read up on it, but how much of this gets solved if they just have a name image likeness exception for college athletes? Uh, if you're a guy like RJ Hampton, you know, this part of this at least has to be a dollars and cents decision. And, you know, I've been saying this a lot on radio stations lately, but if you're like RJ Hampton or like you say, Devon Dotson, let's go with Devon Dotson as the example. You probably optimistically have about six to seven years to make all the money you can make as a professional. After that, you're a little bit older. The younger guys are coming in. So he right now on his table is seven years of professional basketball where he can make the most money possible. If he comes back to Kansas, one of those is unpaid. You don't get paid with that. So uh, same thing with RJ Hampton. If you think you have nine or ten years, you can either go eight that are paid and one that's unpaid or nine that are paid. And he's going with nine that are paid at this point. So name, image, likeness. I wonder how much that could catch college basketball or college athletics up where if you just have that one thing where this guy can go out there and make money off of his own sponsorship or have autograph sessions or or do promotions or whatever the case may be, if you can make that money in college, how much that would limit guys going professionally overseas because think about this he's flying halfway across the world he's flying his family over there i mean there's a lot of this that is not very convenient for rj hampton but he's doing it because he can legally and with the rules get paid and so i'm wondering if that ever happened if just the name image likeness thing got corrected for the NCAA, if a lot of this stuff would go away because you could keep the conveniences of home you could get the great facilities and the great coaching in college and you also could make money in the process and maybe all of this sort of becomes secondary because the Australian option doesn't look that enticing anymore. Well, the name, image, and likeness issue has to be resolved. It has to be made fair for you know for the athletes who cannot currently cash in on on those. My, what I wonder about R.J. Hampton is, you know, by not going to college, especially a school like Kansas, he he wouldn't be able to cash in on his on his likeness anyway. But he also loses out on the opportunity to make a name for himself by playing at a high profile school like Kansas. He's going, you know, he's going eight or 9,000 miles away to play basketball where he is going to be out of sight, out of mind in basket, in American basketball circles. So, you know, he's not going to finish this year in New, you know, playing for the New Zealand team and the Australian basketball team and come back to America. And people aren't going to remember him. He, he's just, He's going to be starting basically from scratch when it comes to developing a name, image, and likeness that he can cash in on. So I think he loses money by not going to Kansas for a year, but he gains salary by going to you know the Australian Professional Basketball League for I think what's been reported as a six-figure salary. I don't I don't think we've been we've seen anything more specific than that. So it could be a hundred thousand. It could be. 200, you know, quarter million to a half million. Uh, I think the only report we have is the G League offers 125 a year, and it's a higher amount than that is what has been out there. Okay. Okay. Well, it's, I, I don't think it's the beginning of a trend, but I, I do wonder, I, I don't know what his 
NBA prospects are. He's the number, right now, the number six, according to Rivals.com, number six prospect in the country. It would have been a great get for, for Kansas or Tech or Memphis, whoever his finalists were. But is this a future NBA player? Is this someone who would have been drafted after a year? Was he a one-and-done type kid? I don't know. Maybe he could have been. But I also think about opportunity or for you know guys that are in the top you know, maybe 50 or 50 to 100 or 100 to 150 who would not be NBA prospects out of high school. I still think that they should be able to make money by playing professional basketball if that's what they choose to do. Every other sport you're allowed, every other sport except football, you're allowed to do that. In baseball, you can, you can cash in as an 18-year-old. In hockey, you can cash in as an 18-year-old. All the individual sports, you can do that. Um, basketball, we're, I think we're moving in, in that direction. So, hey, Jesse, with that, let's take a quick break. And we're gonna, when we come back, we're going to talk Silvio DeSouza. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff. And if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State. And no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town, just eight cents a day or $2.50 a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com slash Sports Pass. We're back with Jesse Newell talking Kansas basketball. And, Jesse, we didn't have a chance to catch up on the Silvio DeSosa news that broke on Friday just before the Memorial Day weekend, what news it was. And uh, I, got, I got to admit, I was surprised that, uh, that the NCAA removed uh, a penalty year, basically, from, from Silvio. And he is, he is eligible to play for the Jayhawks next season. What was your initial reaction to that? Well, you didn't know what to expect. I guess the first thing that was surprising to me is just that there was some resolution. I, I kept saying that I expected one, but because this thing had dragged on for so long and it's a little bit unclear whether that was more on Kansas's plate or more on the NCAA's plate. I mean, this is something where it took him until February 1st to come out and say he was suspended for two years. He was in limbo until that point. It took until April 18th for KU to say that they had gotten their appeal in, which was another two and a half months. And we heard Jeff Long last week say that okay, the NCAA would come back to him and said that they needed more information after K would take in, you know, two and a half months to come up with their appeal and all the stuff they needed to gather together. So it seems like maybe some sort of breakdown there between the two parties and trying to figure out what was needed. But I guess I'm not shocked with it. You know, the public outcry, I think, has to play a little bit of a factor in this. And speaking about this in general, you know, Sylvia almost became sort of like a a cause, if you will. You know, it became like a rallying cry. And when the two-year suspension came down to him, I think a lot of national voices out there showed some frustration and anger with it because of the fact that it seemed like there was something that happened with his recruitment. You know, something happened to help him show up at Kansas. But maybe the punishment was being levied on the wrong person and that the crux of the issue here is not Silvio de Sosa. So I think the, the main thing was that a lot, what I was hearing from a lot of people is if you're going to punish Kansas for whatever happened here, 
punish Kansas. If you're going to c- punish the coaching staff or the handler or Adidas or whatever the case may be, punish them. But to give a two-year suspension to a kid who more likely than not had not much knowledge of what was going on well above his head and all these things going on above him, it seemed a little bit harsh. It seemed a little bit unfair. So for this committee, and I think it's important to note, we've said this a lot, but I want to say it again, that this was a five-person committee. Uh, the NCAA has this thing set up so that they rule on it immediately, but then these are non-NCAA officials that are part of this reinstatement committee, and it sounded from Dennis Dodge reporting from CBS Sports that one of them uh, recused themselves because uh, she was an employee of West Virginia, and there could have been some you know, conflict of interest things there. So uh, what ended up being a four-person committee ruled on this, took in the information, but this is not – the NCAA quote getting this right. It's the NCAA's process getting this right and a committee coming to a conclusion that this was uh, you know, unduly harsh on Sylvie de Sosa. So the fascinating part comes now because we've seen him a little bit, but we haven't seen him that much in a Kansas uniform. So will he be able to play the four well? Will he be able to play next to Yudoka Azubuki well? All those things will be answered. But I think in the moment, KU fans are just very happy because, like I said, he had become sort of a cause to rally around, a cause um, to fight for. And in the end, he will get to play for Kansas next year and help boost his stock uh, through KU instead of having to be forced into the professional ranks. You had a what I considered a remarkable piece of information in one of your stories that you wrote in the aftermath of this. I, I had no idea this was true, that as you were contemplating the, the, the idea of Yudoka Azubuki and Silvio de Souza playing together, that in the second semester of de Souza's year uh, with the Jayhawks, they, they played together on 10 possessions in 20 games. They were not on the floor together at all. And now I think we just assume that they're going to be on the floor together this year because they're they're just too quality. We know Azubuki is is very quality, and and the, the end of the the De Souza season was 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 pretty primo. So there, there, there's going to be an adjustment period if these guys are going to play together. Yeah, and this is complicated because you know I got some emails from people saying, oh, you know, you're poo pooing on this situation. And again, I think people are so emotionally attached to Sylvia right now because. Uh, uh, you know, that him coming back, all it's going to be seen as a positive. And I understand it's human emotion that this kid that you saw on the sideline seemed to have a great attitude, be a great teammate. He's back with Kansas. I mean, that seems like a good thing. And obviously it helps KU's floor because, uh, you know, now they have one extra body who's very talented and they like. And I encourage people to go check out uh, Gary Bedore's article on this. He talked to Norm Roberts, KU's assistant coach, who said it was like kind of the equivalent of them getting a top five or a top ten recruit. I mean, they're very, very high on Sylvia DeSosa. But yes, uh, let's not go revisionist history here. Silvio and Yudoka did not play by each other. I mean, that was a four-guard lineup where those two guys were subbing out. One was playing the five, and the other would check in and play the five, and the other would check out, and the other one would play the five. So, uh, And that KU had the personnel for it. Remember, they had Svi Mikhailuk, Malik Newman, Gerald Vick, Devontae Graham. They had all those shooters, so it made sense to play a four-guard style. But yes, this will be an adjustment. And so I talked to Bill Self a couple weeks ago before all this was settled, and he said, uh, he said if we get all our pieces back, have the full complement of players, which read into that if they get Sylvie DeSosa back. He believed his most talented team would have two bigs in it. So, listen, Bill Self's played this two-big style a lot. I mean, he did it way back in the day. But in that article, if you read his quotes, he talks about it's it's tough to play two bigs nowadays because teams are stretching the floor and making it difficult on you defensively because it's a lot easier to switch than it is to hedge screens and kind of play in what we call rotation in the coaching world, I guess, is where you're kind of scrambling to get back to your own man. So for Kansas... This is definitely an adjustment period, and it's not 100% it's going to work. But for right now, I think the plan is to figure out a way to get both those guys to succeed, get a bunch of rebounds, get a bunch of dunks, 
overwhelm people on the offensive end and then make it work on the defensive end and see how that looks. And like I said, KU's coaching staff is very excited for good reason. Now, Silvio back, it just is going to be an interesting fit. If this was baseball, you just throw them all in the lineup and they all help each other. Because it's basketball, it's a little bit different fit. You, you got to get these guys to work together, play well together, and complement each other. And that's going to be a little bit of a challenge for KU's coaching staff. I had to remind myself exactly what uh, Silvio contributed down the stretch of, of his freshman year in the in the 18 season, and uh, I was reminded that in the Big 12 championship game against West Virginia, he was eight for eight from the field with 10 rebounds, and in the regional championship game against Duke, he had 10 rebounds, and nine of them were nine of them were defensive rebounds, and he brings a, a, an element of defensive rebounding to Kansas that I don't think Azubuki does. There's a difference between them as rebounders, isn't, isn't there? Yeah, and it's it's sort of interesting because for Kansas, Yudoka has never been a great rebounder, but he's a presence and he can get rebounds. And so now you add another one next to him and you think, okay, they can just grab them all. But there also could be diminishing returns a little bit with that, just that, okay, you put two really good rebounders together, they're kind of just going to be stealing from each other uh, at certain points here. So like I said earlier, for Kansas, they don't have a lot of force spacers at this point. They don't have a lot of three-point shooters. And if you're going to play this too big look to try to get guys out of the lane, you need somebody to stretch it a little bit. So can Silvio hit a 15-foot shot? I mean, can he extend his range out to three-point range? That would be ideal, but, I, I mean, I doubt that's going to happen this season. That'd be asking a lot. Um, so, yeah, there's just some things with Kansas and with Silvio that, uh, you know, he's it's, – it's interesting because what you saw him succeed with his rare in that time that he had – uh, was not this position. But yet, also, how fair is it to say, well, you have to look at what he did then and expect that's what he's going to do this year? Because remember, he walked out of high school and came onto Kansas' roster in right. the middle of the season, didn't know the playbook, and that's what he was doing. So uh, it's sort of, it's very difficult, I guess, to look at this situation and know exactly how it's going to turn out. It seems like Kansas' Kansas's coaches are excited to have him back. They think they have a talented player. They think they can play two bigs together. They've done that in the past. They think he's improved. All those things are probably true. Just how exactly it's going to work out, I think that remains to be seen. All right, so we will stay tuned for more as the Kansas lineup turns. And <laughs> Jesse Newell, thanks for being with us. We will talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Blair. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes. Follow complete Kansas Jayhawks coverage on KansasCity.com, on Facebook.com slash KU Hoops, and the KU Hoops app. Thanks to Kathy Liu and Leah Becerra for putting the show together. This has been Sportsbeat KC, a sports podcast to the Kansas City Star, and we'll talk sports again soon. And then what? <laughs> I wrote it down. I wrote it down. So, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Next time.